Thank you. Okay, take your Bibles and let's turn tonight. We are continuing our our uh, teaching and our sermon series on uh, the seven IMs of uh, that John writes down concerning uh, the claims of Jesus. And uh, again, the ultimate claim of Jesus is when he used the I am name of God specifically before before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of his day, and uh, when they questioned him about how could he know about Abraham and how could he make statements, and he says, before Abraham ever was, I am. And he used the name of God for that. But throughout the... Uh, the uh, book of John. John uses word pictures to describe uh, how Jesus works in our life as, as, as his children. Um, so we're looking at those. We've looked at uh, two so far. Um, last week was I am the light of the world. Uh, the week before, anybody remember what the week before was? Anybody? Look at your notes. You probably already got it. I am what? That was the first one, the bread of life. Bread of life, yes. That's the first one. Bread of life, I am the light, okay, of the world. Tonight we're going to look at a, a statement. Uh, depending on your translation, uh, it will, it will, he will, John will use the word picture, I am the door or I am the gate. Okay, And the reference that Jesus uses as he speaks these words about himself uh, oh, I'm sorry. In, in, in the, as he speaks these words about himself, as John records them for us, he's using a, a, a word picture that's used a lot in the Bible. Anybody ever heard of the 23rd Psalm? Yes. Okay. How does it begin? The Lord is my what? My shepherd, and I shall want for nothing. And now Jesus goes back here in John, and John records what Jesus says, and he's going to draw again that, that picture of, of, of the reality of, you know, that Jesus is, he's not just the shepherd, which he'll, he'll claim to be the good shepherd here, but he's also the gate itself. Uh, anybody ever deal with livestock, cows, or anything like that? Okay, uh, if you see, you've probably seen them on, on, on TV shows where they do the roundup type things and stuff. And when they bring them into towns and stuff, and, 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 and they will, they will uh, do a count of them, they'll put them in a pen and they'll run them through this little shoot type thing. And when they're doing that, the cowboy will sit there and he'll count. Usually he's got a little lasso on his hand, he's just looping knots. Every 10 1, he's looping a knot right there. That's how they, how, that's how they count it and stuff like that. But that was a gate that they could get through to get into the pen. Okay, Jesus is going to use that, that word analogy for us in, in the passage here today in reference to the fact that he's the good shepherd. But again, not only is he the good shepherd, he's going to say that he is the gate. And that will be important. So look with me in John chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 10, uh, 7 through 10 tonight. Again, the third I am statement of Jesus, and we're kind of doing these chronologically as you find them in the Gospel of John. The third I am statement of Jesus that we've looked at. And here's what, here's what it says, verse 7, first. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So, Jesus, if you read the first part of this same chapter, he deals a lot with that terminology, uh, the thieves and the robbers and, 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 and the, the people who, who would misuse the sheep. Uh, there are those who say there's a reason that, that God chooses, chooses to use sheep to speak about us and stuff because, because sheep have a tendency when they're not led properly to wander. And sheep are not the smartest creatures on the face of the earth. Then I guess they say pigs are actually smarter than sheep, but uh, way, smarter. way smarter. Okay, <laughs> but uh, so I, I don't think God's calling us dumb, but we are we are prone to wander, and we do. It's our nature. We need we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd who who would lead us because left to our own devices, we would always wander away from God. And so. Jesus presents himself as that good shepherd. Again, tying with what God said through the psalmist in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall want for nothing. And, and Jesus is trying to make that same, that I think he's making that same claim here for, for those who would be his followers. Now, when Jesus does this, he takes it a step further. He not only says that he is the good shepherd as, as he begins this, this chapter and, and, late, and even later on beyond what we read, he will, he will draw the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling and, and the willingness of a true shepherd to actually lay down his life for the sheep while a hireling, well, what, what will they do? They'll, when trouble comes, they'll take off. They have no, they're not really invested in the sheep. A hireling eats off the sheep. A shepherd loves the sheep. Okay, so he, he continues, so, but he's saying, on, he, in, in the part we're looking at, he's not just saying that he is the good shepherd, which he is. He actually takes it a step further, and look at verse 7. He says, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So he's not only the good shepherd of the sheep, Jesus is the door of the sheep. Or again, your translation may actually use the word gate. Okay, gate. In John chapter 14, Jesus uses a different term because he's not drawing the analogy as it, as it holds with sheep. He says in the sixth, sixth verse of chapter 14, I am the way. Okay, and I'm the truth and life. And actually, and now once again he says, and no one can come to who? No one can come to the Father except by, by him. Why? Because as he's saying here, he is the gate. He is the door. He's not just a shepherd. He's the way in. Okay? Uh, when you look at that term, when you look at that term, the door, uh, he's the one that allows access for us. Well, access to us for what? Well, you could say to the Father. You could certainly say to salvation, to the forgiveness of sin, to eternal life, uh, to every promise of God. Like Paul says in, in Jesus, that every promise of God is amen. So he's the door to every promise of God. He's the gate. And you can't, you can't get there except by Jesus. Now, this is an um, exclusive claim of Jesus. Or you could actually say it's an exclusion, ex, exclusionary claim of Jesus. Is that a proper... That where, where, where he, 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 exclusive. He, exclusive, exclusionary. He, he's telling people that he is it. So Jesus is making a statement, not only here, but in the 14th chapter and elsewhere, that he is the only way. 
Later on in the book of Acts, we have Peter saying, there's no other name by which someone can be saved except by the name of Jesus. These are, these are, these are claims of exclusivity that apply only to Jesus. Now, this morning when we talked about, we talked about the fact that the Bible is very clear that there's only one gospel. And any other gospel is a false gospel. And Paul says it's actually a perversion of the gospel, and it's not a gospel at all. So, once again, we're reminded by Jesus himself that there are not many ways to God. There are not many paths to God. Okay, So, he's claiming that he is the only way or the only path, the only gate, the only door to God. And any other way will not get you there. It just simply won't get you there. It's like, you know, and, and some people, you know, like to play games with this or like, like to take a, take chance with this, like being on let's make a deal. Door number one, door number two, door number three. You know, the, the truth about this way is any other door besides Jesus is a zonk. Okay? Because there is no other way. Now, that makes, as I said this morning, the world very uncomfortable. It makes the religious-minded people very unhappy. And, and, and they really think we're filled with kind of pride and audacity. And I guess, I guess if we if we shared it wrong with them, that could that could certainly. And we've got to be careful we don't come across that way. Uh, but but at, if if the gospel is what it is and it's that important, uh, then then we have no option, I guess, except to tell them the truth. Because because if we do not share with them the truth, where will they go? They will always go another way, just like for you and me. Someone cared enough about us to share with us the truth that Jesus Christ was, is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, and that he's, he's the only way to salvation. We live in a time when people want to have and want to believe that as long as you sincerely believe something, the sincerity of your belief determines whether or not you get to spend eternity with God. You understand what I just said? It really doesn't matter to the world what your belief system is, as long as you sincerely hold it. Even if your belief system, incredibly, is, is, is anti-Christ and anti-God. Somehow, you're still going to get to go to heaven and, and spend eternity with God. Now, one of my thoughts, because this is the way I think, why would someone who is anti-Christ and anti-God want to spend eternity with God anyway? You know? But, but, but again, that human beings want, want to have it, they want, you know, they want to have it their way. They want to determine their way to get there, and they want to set their own parameters uh, uh, in regards to their own salvation. And Jesus, again, makes this strong statement. I am the door. I am the gate. There are not one of, he's not one of many gates. He is the gate. I am the way. There are not many ways to God. He is the way. He's not a way. He is the way. It's very exclusive that, that he speaks of those things. And... and, and Again, that offends the world as a whole, and they don't want to hear that. Everybody wants to choose their own way. Um, and I, and I, again, I don't want to repeat my sermon this morning, but it, it, it kind of hits me that what we're talking about tonight ties in with what I was sharing with you this morning. And, and the unfortunate response of many in the church is to back off of, of this message because we don't want to offend somebody. So we we want to say, oh, you know, you believe in a, you believe in your Jesus, and that's okay. I've heard people say statements like this: as long as you believe in God as you perceive Him to be. Now that's a terrible statement when you're dealing with God. Don't you agree? A terrible statement. When you're, so what you're saying is, any God that you're that's that's a that's a figment of your imagination is okay as long as you call Him God. 
The same thing with Jesus. The name Jesus. The name Jesus was a common name. In the Old Testament, what it's Joshua, the same as Joshua. Uh, in the Hebrew, it's more like a Yeshua, but it's the same word. And it actually means, the name means salvation. But it was a common name. A common name. So it's not merely the name Jesus. It is, and when we say when you pray something in the name of Jesus or you believe in God through, through Jesus, it's not just tacking the name Jesus on the end of your prayers or saying, I believe in a Jesus. It, it is, there's only one Jesus that saves. There's only one gospel that saves. Okay? There's only one God, and he can only be known when he chooses to reveal himself to us. That's part of when we talk about the grace of God. The, the fact that God would reveal himself to us at all is, is a huge act of grace. What? He doesn't need us. And, and unfortunately, a lot of people, that's how they approach it. God needs me. No, he doesn't need you. He loves you. And by his grace, he will save you. And we are privileged that he would even use us. But he doesn't need us. God is complete in and of himself. So, Jesus, again, claims to be the only way. He is the door for the sheep. So you can say with, with certainty that if someone chooses another way other than the Jesus of the Bible for salvation, they do not have salvation. Now, people say, you have no right to what? Judge. Judge me. And I would always say to you in this matter of judgments, that's, you're right, it's not our place to judge anybody. But, but if you have the opportunity in these matters and you can take them back to the Word, take them back to the Word. Because it is the Word that the Holy Spirit will use to convict somebody. So when we make a statement like, Jesus is the only way, say, oh, that's, that's your view. And you're judging everybody else. Well, no, let's see what the Bible says. The Bible has already said that. Okay? We, there's so many matters that, 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 that we stand upon that, that we, we, we know we stand upon them based on the Word. But the world doesn't know that. And they don't know the authority by which we might make a statement. Because it is, as I said this morning about the gospel, it is a huge statement when you tell somebody either they are, they, they are saved or they're not saved. Based upon what they believe. Okay? So, as we said this morning, if someone perverts the gospel, if someone says there's another way to God other than Jesus, and all these people are listening and following that person, that's a huge thing. You have many souls that are trusting some speaker's words and going to miss heaven because of it. And the same token is, is, for some reason, God has given us the authority to share his true gospel. So that we can actually say to somebody, if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you respond to the call of his Holy Spirit, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can know that you're saved. Remember we did First John? And that's one of the things he said. You can know that you're saved because you have believed in the name of the Son of God. We've got to have to, we have to have that. And, and, and I can't look into someone's soul and say, you have or you haven't, Ken. But, but, I, but if your testimony is that you've trusted in Jesus and, 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 you, and you've responded to the call of the Holy Spirit, then, then, then I, I'm privileged to recognize you as a brother or sister. And I can say, if you've done that, then you can know that you have salvation. Ultimately, only you and God know if you've done that. But your, our fruit will show whether or not that to be true. So, Jesus begins this portion again by saying he is the only way. He is the door. He is the gate. Don't be ashamed to say that to people. 
Don't be intimidated to say that to people. People need to hear that. It is the gospel message. They need to hear it. And again, it's not a matter of getting an argument with people. It's a matter of declaring the truth. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Because, because if we don't tell them as a church, they, no one else is going to tell them. There's no way for them to know. So if that becomes a message that the church sets aside, the church has lost its purpose to be what it's called to be in the world itself. All right, so Jesus makes that statement. He's the only way. He's the door. Look at verse 8 with me now. Here's what he said. He said, all whoever came before me are what? Thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. All the ones who came before him are phonies. They're counterfeits. They have, they have a destruct. he says they have a destructive agenda. He calls them thieves and he calls them robbers. Uh, who could he be speaking of here? Well, he certainly could be speaking of anyone who claimed to be Messiah. Because there were certainly those people that were there in his time. He also could be speaking of the false prophets who falsely told things to the people. And he certainly could have been speaking about the false teachers who, again, corrupted the word of God and led the people astray with the, with the teachings of man and using them to replace the teaching of God, yet using God's name. It's interesting when you talk about the false prophets. I think it's both in Isaiah and, and Jeremiah you'll have a statement very similar where it says, it says you, these prophets, they, they go forth and they say, thus saith the Lord when the Lord has never spoken. And it really is a word of condemnation. It's a, it's a, and again, it's a huge thing to say God said this. That's thus saith the Lord. That's a huge thing. And so you had the false prophets and you had the, the false teachers. And, and quite frankly, you'll find that both Peter and Paul specifically had, had very strong statements to say against these two groups of people. Now for Jesus, personally, you, I don't know, and maybe you can help me, I don't know that we ever have him confronting are being confronted by a false prophet. But certainly he is confronted by rabbis, teachers, in the, in the, and also the religious hierarchy of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, members of the Sanhedrin. He had to deal with those. And certainly he would put them in those, that category. Again, as I said this morning, he had some interesting names for these guys. What were some of those names that, that he had for these guys? Called them a brood, a brood, they're a group of snakes. What else? Whitewashed sepulchers. Tombs. Anybody else? Hypocrites. Well, he did call them hypocrites. Children of the devil. He said they were like cups that were clean on the outside but filled with all kinds of vile things. Sounds the meek and mild Jesus, huh? Okay. And here, he's, he's the one that's speaking here again. John is recording this. And what does he say about those who would come falsely claiming either to be Messiah or to present a Messiah or present a way or present uh, teachings that, that might lead to God or prophecies that might lead to God. He calls them, he actually calls them thieves and robbers. Why? Well, I'm sure that some of them stole things from people. Paul gives warning about those who will, and ladies, I'm sorry, but this is his words, not mine, who will go to gullible women and will 
manipulate them and get them to do what they want them to do. There's a lot of the health, wealth, and prosperity guys who love to do that today. Be very careful. You know, if the first thing a guy wants you to do is write him a check, then you better check out. Okay? It's, uh, you see most of those prosperity people, prosperity usually works for them. Well, everybody else. So, so they certainly steal things, but I think he, it's, a, it's a little bit more insidious here. Because these false teachers and these, these false preachers and these false these people who, who give a false gospel and false prophecies, and they actually steal souls. Steal souls for whom Jesus died. Because people do listen. And unfortunately, we find ourselves, as I, I really believe it's been in most generations, many churches and many movements are personality driven more than they are truth driven and, and what you want to find wherever you go wherever God leads you when you sit down you want, you want someone who will take you to the word and not, not ask you to follow them so he calls them robbers he calls them thieves and, and not only do they steal things from, from again gullible people but they also lead people astray and in leading people astray you have souls that are lost and we might say, well, people ought to know better. You've got to be careful of that. I remember when I was still doing youth, and I asked the youth one time, I said, because they were really giving the, the group of youth across, uh, around the corner from us a hard time. And that group happened to be Mormons and Mormon kids. Oh, I can't believe the Mormon kids believe this and believe that. And, and they just was going to, and I, I tried to get them to stop and think for a moment. And not that what they were saying about the Mormon kids was wrong in the sense that what these kids were believing was wrong. But I had a question for them. I said, first of all, I said, why do you suppose those Mormon kids believe what they believe? Now, you know it's wrong. Or you think you know it's wrong. Or maybe you heard someone tell you it's wrong, so you just parroting somebody else. But why do you suppose those Mormon kids believe what they believe? Have you ever thought about that as an adult, not just youth? What do you suppose Mormon young people and people who grew up in the Mormon church believe what they believe? That's what they've been taught. That's what they've been taught. And when I asked those youth, I said, why are you here in the Baptist church? How many of you actually chose to come to the Baptist church or are you here because your parents brought you here? So you believe what you believe because your parents. And with my own kids, that was a, that was a key thing. My kids grow up in a pastor's home. A lot of times they say, oh, we can't do that because you're, you're the pastor. And my response was, no, you can't do that because you're my son. Okay? And when we finish this, I told Drew and Shalabot, when we finish this, I want, I want two adults, young adults, who know what they believe and why they believe it, and they can't say because my dad said so. Because they need to be able to stand upon those things. Okay? There are a lot of people that all they've ever known is bad teaching, false teaching. And sadly, when they hear the true teaching, it, it again, becomes an offense to them. That's why I think my approach to false teachers or false prophets is it, I have a stronger reaction to them than I do the people who are sitting in, the, in these false churches and stuff. I, I really pity the false the people in the false church. I, I hope that God will open their eyes and they'll come out of those things. I have little pity for false teachers because they're dealing with people's souls. Alright, so Jesus said, uh, these who 
have come before him, these who have come other than from him are actually thieves and robbers. They have, understand it, they have a destructive agenda. And, and listen, Satan who's leading these false teachings about the gospel and about who Jesus is and about salvation, his, his, his agenda is always destructive. But he's not going to tell you that's why he's doing it. And his false teachers and preachers are not going to tell you. What's the Bible say? It says, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So don't be surprised if his ministers do the same thing. They're not going to come to you and say, you know, I'm, I'm really a minister of Satan. And I'm here to, to see that you're destroyed. That's not going to, how they're going to come. They're going to come and offer you a counterfeit. That's why you have to be grounded in the word and not give in to that thing. So Jesus says he is the gate. He says that the counterfeits, the phonies, if you will, are the ones who came before or who came apart from him. And they have a destructive agenda. Now verse 9. Jesus again makes a statement, I am the door. But what does that mean? So you're going to expand on that a little bit. He says this, he says, if anyone enters by me, what's, what's his next statement? That's a statement of, of certainty. He will be saved. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And will go in and out and find pasture. You know what this is saying? That Jesus to us is salvation. Maybe that, I don't need to say that. But the analogy that he's drawing here is that Jesus is salvation. If anybody enters by me, he will be saved. In other words, if you put, again, what I said earlier, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for who he is and what he's done, and you give your life over to him, he promises that you'll be saved. And I've had people say, well, what if, what if he's not telling the truth? And my response always is, if he's not telling the truth, I really don't know what matters. If God lies about salvation, how can you be sure of anything? So, Jesus is our salvation. But he, in this analogy, he takes a little bit further than that. He, he, we're not only, he's not only our, our salvation, but as a shepherd, he is, he is our protector. In the, in the 23rd Psalm, there's a verse that says, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff cover me. Those are two different things. The rod and the staff are two different things. Okay? The rod is used for protection. The shepherd would beat off wolves, beat off animals, beat off whatever with the rod. It was a device of protection. The staff was an implement to guide, to lead. Uh, at times, too, because of the crook nature of it, if, if a sheep got in a place of danger, to pull that sheep back out of that place of danger. So when we think about Jesus he being our good shepherd and, and his claim that he makes here as our good shepherd, he not only saves us, but he protects us and he provides for us. Just like David records in, in the 23rd Psalm. He is our shepherd who protects us from the enemy. He is our protection from the enemy. Uh, the enemy hates you. And it's, it's, his, it's his intent to destroy you. And I've heard some Christians that almost get to a place of, of bragging of how spiritual they are that the enemy can't do anything to, him, to them. Be very careful of those kind of statements. 
You are not in yourself greater than Satan is. Okay? You are not. And, and I think the enemy loves it when Christians get filled with pride, self-pride, to where they say, well, he, he can't do anything to me. Okay? Our protection is not in statements that we make. Our protection is in our shepherd. Okay? He protects us. He is our protection against the enemy. He is, he is that shield about us. He is that shepherd that beats off this great wolf that would, that would come against us. And I remind you, if the audacity of the enemy is that he would tempt Jesus, the Son of God, whom he knew from some time in eternity past. Don't think that he won't tempt you and I too. Okay, so if he's willing to do that with Jesus, he's certainly going to do it with us. But Jesus is our protector. But not only is he our protector as our shepherd... Who, and, and, and the door that, that leads to salvation, he also is the one who provides. Paul says it this way, you have been made perfect in Christ Jesus, or you've been made complete in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we Christians say, I don't feel perfect. And that word literally means you have been made complete in Christ Jesus. In other words, in Christ Jesus, you and I have received everything that God has for us. There's not something else that still needs to be added. I'm convinced if I would learn to trust God and who I've been made in Christ Jesus and, and to walk in that every day, my life would be transformed. I believe the church would be transformed if we would learn that. And, and, and we would see, I think we would see more of what is even recorded in the book of Acts that, that took place when the, when the baby church didn't, didn't know anything better but to trust Jesus and walk in the Holy Spirit. See, he, he, he is our provision. He does not just provide. He is our provision. In Him we have every promise of God. And in Him we are made complete. In Him we have everything. It goes back again to what we talked about so much. The need to, to walk in Him, to live in Him, to, 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 to speak in Him, and, and never to try to go outside of who we are in Him. Because we, we do have the capability of doing that because we're still in the flesh. But it's outside of that gate, if you will, where danger happens. It's inside that gate, inside of Jesus, where we have His protection and His provision. So Jesus says there in verse 9, I'm the door. If you enter by me, you will be saved. Okay? And you will go in and out and find what? Pasture. Everything that you need. All right, let's look at the last thing before we close out our time together tonight. Verse 10, here's what he says. The, and before I read it, he's going to close this out, or we're going to close this time out, looking at the difference between the thief and Jesus. And it really gives you an option of what, where you want to be and what you want to do. So what, what does it say? It says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. What is the purpose of the enemy of your soul? Always. To steal, to kill, and destroy. It doesn't matter how he wraps it. It doesn't matter how he approaches you with, with, his, with himself or, or his agenda or, or his words or whatever. It doesn't matter. He is deceiving. Matter of fact, the Bible says he is deceiving and he is deceived. Put it this way. The, the, the creature that, that is the greatest, dece the, the greatest 
deceived creature ever is Satan himself. He's deceived. But he's also a deceiver. Not only is he a deceiver, he's a liar. And the Bible says he's not only a liar, but he's the father of lies. So everything that he does, there's nothing he does for us or toward us that is good toward us. Even if with the eye, it looks good for the moment. It doesn't bother him to give you something good in order to get you, lead you astray. It's no big thing for him to do that. But remember what Jesus said is his agenda. He is there to kill. And he's there to steal. And he's there to destroy everything. And he loves to do that with us. He hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your family. He hates the church. He hates... He hates everything that God has blessed you with. He hates it. And everything he can do to destroy it, to kill it, and to steal it away from you, he will. You just have to know that. But look at what Jesus says about himself. He says, I have come, Jesus has come to do what? He has come to give us life. But not just life. He's come to give us an abundant life. He doesn't intend for us just to squeak by. He intends for us to have an abundant life. And if you're reading anything in here that has to do with material things, you're missing his point. Because he's not talking about material things. He's talking about our, who we are touched and changed and transformed by the power of God. And everything, listen, everything in your life touched by heaven itself. That's the abundant life. That's an incredible promise that Jesus Christ has given us. It, it is a life that is not determined by situation or circumstance. It's not determined by what happened so much to us that the world might do to us. It, it is determined by who we are in Jesus Christ and what he has given to us in and of himself. That's the abundant life. And you can have the abundant life and not have two nickels to rub together. And you can have the abundant life and not have health. You can have the abundant life just because that's his gift to you. It's not determined by, by our temporal setting. Yet we have become very fleshly and carnal to think that it is all the time. And that's not the case at all. He wants us to know the abundance of knowing him. And the abundance of experiencing him. And the abundance of being saved by the shepherd who will provide and protect us in all things. And ultimately, we have the promise of that eternal salvation. So that no matter what happens in this world, our eternity is set. And I, th I have this, this thought that we, at least, again, it's my thought, we're going to look back on this life that we were here while we're up there, I guess when time is no more, <laughs> and, and, and how short it's going to seem. And you know what? I think we can already get a glimpse of that. Especially those of us who are moving toward the sixth decade, and some of you are beyond that. How short was, I look back, how short were those 60 years? So many things seem like yesterday. It's a vapor. Yeah, it is. It's a vapor. And pretty soon we won't be here. My good friend Garth that I asked you to pray for, 91 years old. I know he would tell you it went by way too fast. What he has for us is eternal. Unchanging in the heavenlies, in the very hands of God.
That's where our focus needs to be. He is the door. He is the way. And because He is the way, and He's so much more than that, once you enter by Him the door, inside the door, if you will, He is our protection, He is our provision, and He has promised us an abundant life. So don't listen to any other so-called shepherds out there. Don't listen to no thieves, no liars. Don't listen to those who come to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen to one who loves your soul and who did everything to show you that he loves your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the privilege of being in your word. And uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us. And Lord, I just pray that that which we have learned tonight, that which we've received tonight, that directs us back to your son Jesus. Father, that we would, would not only hear it, but we would receive it. And Lord, help us to make sure that, that, that the only way that we come to you, not only for salvation, but every day, is through your son Jesus. Let us be submitted to him and surrender to him. Let us recognize that he is the good shepherd that loves us deeply and dearly. And Father, let us recognize what he has done for us and where he has put us so that we might enjoy the abundant life that is promised to us in him. Thank you for the time together this evening. Thank you for the week you have before us. Keep us sensitive to your spirit. Let us not be ashamed of your gospel. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.